when you're young and starting out in business and investing, it's like you're driving a car, but instead of the windshield being in front, it's like the rear view mirror is in front and the window is really small, right? And then as you move forward, the re- you know, you're looking back and everything's really clear to see. And it seems like life is, is always that way on this continuum of wake up, go to work, take care of the family, invest for the future, wake up, go to work, take care of the family, invest for the future. And as you get towards the end, suddenly the windshield is full size big and you kind of see what's coming and it's less it's mm. less having to turn around and 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 see uh w- w- you know you, you kind of know what's around the corner once you've been through 30 or 40 years of this and that's one of the things that drives me because when i talk to a young entrepreneur in their 20s or 30s i know that their windshield is really small and they don't see the big picture that i have seen right so uh that's where i try to come in and help them by giving them the vision of what they're missing. Everybody, welcome back to the Bulletproof Pod. I'm flying solo, but I'm actually flying solo with one of, uh, I would say, Craig's financial proxy. So the guest today is Randy Smith, and it's a uh, like I was saying earlier before I before I messed up on hitting the record button that that Randy is kind of like Craig's financial sage, and I'm using that term again. And 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 uh, Randy, you can you can say what you you told, said the first time about the uh, consigliere. Yeah, Craig Craig calls me his financial consigliere, and and I earned that title with him over the last twelve years. I call him my dentist. That's why I have these beautiful teeth right here. So, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, Craig and I met 12 years ago in Delray. We've been fast friends ever since, and we help each other with advice. And Craig is, um, uh, you know, he and I are wired differently. Uh, our, our culture indexes are almost the same, except for he's more emotion in his decision making. And yes. I'm more fact based, data driven, yep. my decision making. And that's just kind of what drives me is, is the numbers. So. <laughs> So, yeah, I've heard about you all through the years. You know, I, I recently got to spend some time with you in person because you came and just spontaneously were able, was able to speak to our mastermind in, in Salt Lake. And it was I thought it was just very timely for us to hear the message of what you were saying. Um, it's one of, you know, I guess, first off, let's maybe give a little bit of background on on why you are teaching kind of what you do and why you feel called to teach others on this. Um, based on having a successful construction company or flooring company, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, flooring, co- flooring company and then an exit and then really being disciplined with some of the foundations in which you teach kind of from a, from a financial pathways, so to speak. Sure. So uh, uh, what, what gives me uh, the experience, let's say, to be able to talk about this and be what some call a subject matter expert um, Everything I know, you can read on the internet. In fact, anything you ever want to learn about anything, you can learn on the internet. It all exists, right? But um, I started in business when I was 19. My dad lent me some money to start a business because he thought I'd be a good entrepreneur. So I never had to go out and get a real job and deal with any of that. I I started this business just on a shoestring. And um, through trial and error, I was able to build it up over the years And uh, after uh, several near bankruptcies, literally, 
and and some amazing saves that kept the company out of bankruptcy over all those years, growing to um, 13 locations in 11 states, shrinking back to three locations, up and down over this 35 years. And then I finally built the company big enough that I was able to sell it to a top tier private equity firm out of Houston. And uh, and that was three and a half years ago. And they're still really happy about the purchase. Since we sold, we've doubled the EBITDA. And the way financial engineering works, that means they're going to make a ton of money when they sell this company again. Yeah. Um, I'm still the president of the company, and uh, but we'll be retiring later this year. Um, uh, so right now I'm working like part time. And um, along the lines of building a business and, and going through all those uh, school hard knocks, at the same time, when you finally get to the point where you have excess cash generated, then you usually start a side hustle and you work on your investing life. When you're an employee, it's really easy. You join the 401k, you do a, you know, a Roth IRA, and, and investing is, is rel relatively easy and automatic. When you're an entrepreneur, you have to decide every time you have a month where excess cash comes in, am I reinvesting in the business or am I reinvesting in 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 my case, Randy Smith Incorporated, outside of my business. And so uh, during the years, you kind of decide how to break that out because you want to keep the business healthy and successful going forward, but you also want to have your safety net for yourself on outside of the business. And most entrepreneurs will end up in real estate because they'll buy their own building or whatever the normal pathway is to building wealth, uh, wealth generation. And, and security uh, and security for your, yourself and your family. Um, but then then investing kind of takes on a life of, of its own. And I'm at the stage now where I sold the company and liquefied. So now I'm just a full time investor. Right. And along with that comes philanthropy, which I'm really excited about and uh, adventuring. You know, I'm a sailor. I have a catamaran. I've sailed 30,000 miles through the Panama Canal all over the world. And I'm building a new one right now to start some new adventures. So I've gone from the entrepreneurial journey to becoming the investor, philanthropist, and adventurer. And it's a pretty great place to be. And with that, I learned so much along the way that when people come to me and say, hey, Randy, I need your advice, I love to give it. So over the last three, four years, I kind of built this little uh, uh, tool that I've shared with you, which is Randy's Top 20, which is just kind of like my my personal finance uh, advice, along with I give business advice as well. I mentor a lot of companies and startups and things like that. So that's my story. I love it. And it's, you know, I love that you're coming from a place of really, you're helping a lot of people, right? And, and you felt called to do that. And it's no different than I was kind of looking at, you've learned from all the ass kicking that you got in your, in your career. And you're teaching people like, hey, here's some things I would maybe avoid, you know, if I could have, and you're teaching that. And that's kind of the, that's kind of the, that was kind of the genesis of Bulletproof, right? Craig and I felt like we had a lot of scars and, and things, and we had gone through the school of hard knocks and learned hard ways and, and ate a lot of glass. And, uh, and we figured, you know what, let's maybe see if we, if we can maybe help impact dentistry and help people avoid some landmines that we may, may have gone through and level up the whole industry from a, from a uh, dental ownership perspective, right? The, the business and marketing of dentistry then that's probably what we should do. And so that was kind of, so you're kind of doing the same thing. It's something you feel called to do. Talk about your financial acumen and people come to you for, for advice on this. And um, yes, going to Randy's 20, which I was able to kind of see it live in person at the uh, mastermind, a lot of it really resonated with me. 
Randy. I mean, a lot of the things that you talk about, yes, I was kind of already doing some things, but there were some eye-opening things that I was like, hmm, and it made me audit kind of like my pathway, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, can you talk about like some of the biggest mistakes that you've made or some things that you would have done in hindsight? Um, yeah. So, uh, first of all, I, I don't know if I hit on this earlier, but I, I don't do any consulting or anything for money. I do this all for free. <laughs> and, um, so I, I, I lecture, I go to clubs and make presentations and it's just for the love of the game and to help people. And I really, uh, enjoy doing that. Um, so, uh, so anyway, the, uh, <clears throat> so for me, What's interesting about being at the stage of my career, I'm 58 now. I started when I was 19. And, and when, you're, um, when you're young and starting out in business and investing, it's like you're driving a car, but instead of the windshield being in front, it's like the rearview mirror is in front and the window is really small, right? And then as you move forward, the re you know, you're looking back and everything's really clear to see. And it seems like life is, is always that way on this continuum of wake up, go to work, take care of the family, invest for the future, wake up, go to work, take care of the family, invest for the future. And as you get towards the end, suddenly the windshield is full size big and you kind of see what's coming and it's less, it's mm. less having to turn around and, and, and see, uh, you know, you kind of know what's around the corner once you've been through 30 or 40 years of this. And that's one of the things that drives me because when I talk to a young entrepreneur in their twenties or thirties, I know that their windshield is really small and they don't see the big picture that I have seen. Right. So uh, that's where I try to come in and help them by giving them the vision of what they're missing. When you talk about, uh, you know, mistakes, the, the first one I, I focus on is the time. Most people are so busy running their business that they don't take time to work on their business or they're so busy in their personal life with kids and sports and maybe helping elder family members or whatever it is that they don't have time to focus on personal finance. And personal finance is a little bit of a science and Napoleon Hill wrote a great book called uh, The Law of Success. And uh, that was like a founding principle book for me. but. But people that have been there before you, there is a roadmap. And if you just listen to them and follow the steps, it will get you exactly where you want to go. It's like my kids are in their 30s now. And if they would just listen to me and do whatever I told them, it would be so easy for their lives. But they want to go out and make their own mistakes. Um, but but there, are, there are just steps that you can take. And it's like stepping onto a ladder. And if you see the steps in front of you and you know what they are and you get on the ladder, it doesn't matter if you're on the first rung. It doesn't matter if you're 23 and in credit card debt. If you get on the ladder of personal education and empowerment through financial decision making and, and knowledge, the first rung is just as valuable as the 99th rung because you're on the ladder and you're going one direction. And that is up and to the right over time. I am not the get rich quick guy. I am the get rich slow guy. The get rich quick guy is another guy and you can go listen to him and he only makes his money selling books on tape, right? The get rich slow guys are the ones that get there and they don't lose their money, right? So um, anyway, uh, so uh, most people don't take the time to educate themselves. 
I recommend reading. I recommend joining peer-to-peer uh, networks. Uh, mm-hmm. People that joined your, your podcast, who listen to your podcast, are doing it. People that uh, do peer-to-peer learning or join a, a local organization like, uh, um, uh, what is the, uh, why, uh, what's the one you're in? YPO and YPO. Yeah, YPO, things like that. People that take that five hours a month to work on their personal finance or, or work on their business, because the truth is most people don't. I, I would encourage anybody listening to this to go out and talk to your friends and say, how much time do you spend dedicated per month on personal finance or ideas to grow your business. Some may do a lot. Most have their head in the sand. Yeah, I think that's probably a pretty pervasive problem in just our society as a whole. I think dentists may be a little bit better with things like that, although Craig always contends that like most dentists can't retire on time because of poor planning. Um, so I would I would actually, yeah, I would like that to be a, a test for people to go out and, and how much time are you spending or ask your colleagues, how much time are you spending? Because I think one of the fatal flaws is that we, we are optimistic, meaning we are, we are, I'm making good money and I've got a good business and I'm optimistic for the future, but without a plan, you're kind of planning to fail, you know? And, um, and that's why I like what you were kind of speaking on in, in Salt Lake was really that, that this is, this takes work like anything else that's worth a shit, right? You, you have to put in the work and get a hold around, around your, um, the spotlight of where you are right now in order to make progress for where you want to go. But without having that, that data point, it's almost like you're just hoping and like, I hope and I wish, and I think, um, and so you were very intentional about spending a lot of time in your PFS, which is, which is short for your personal financial statement, which so many of us, and I think we actually took a poll that day, didn't we, Randy, in the, in, mm-hmm. in the room of 20, Right. Highly educated, highly, highly high earners, very, very, you know, the cream of the crop in terms of like, um, yeah, people. And I think we and you said, how many people here track their net worth? And I mean, it was like uh, of the let's call it of the 20. I think there were maybe two, three hands. Would you agree? Mm -hmm. Most people, uh, most people do a financial statement, Peter. When the bank asks them Ask to, them for it. exactly. So if they don't borrow money for five years, they don't do another one. And I'm just like, are you kidding me? Because to me, that's like being on a boat in the ocean. You can't see land, and you don't have a compass, right? Right. Your financial statement is the compass. It tells you exactly where to go. And and people bury their head in the sand. My my favorite is I'm in an investment group with 22 members. And uh, in our January meeting, I asked everybody, did did their net worth go up or down last year? Not one of these 22 accomplished individuals had tracked whether their net worth increased. And they did that because of a natural bias. The bias was the market was down 20%. So nobody wanted to look, right? Uh Well, well, if you look and the market's down 20% and you impair your financial statement, it might affect your decision-making. It might affect you and your spouse's decision on how much to spend on travel this year or Mm -hmm. education or uh, growing the business or buying new equipment or whatever, right? So so to me, not only do you have to have an up-to-date financial statement, but, and I will share with you and the group at some point in the future um, at your leisure, uh, I have a fairly detailed um, spreadsheet where it's the financial statement the bank wants to see, and then it's the entity structure and everything that you own, and then it's your credit lines, lines of credit, any of your debts, 
Um, and then it's, you know, annual governance. What do I want to accomplish every year? What are my investing goals for the year? What are my business goals for the year? It, it's kind of like a spreadsheet that my entire financial life is in this one document. Uh-huh. And I open it up every Saturday morning with coffee. I look at everything. I update. Oh, I sold a car. I bought a car. Oh, my stocks are down. My stocks are up. My Bitcoin's down. My Bitcoin's oh, I this my building. Bitcoin's I can be in this my building. Sorry, I got stuck on the Bitcoin. Yeah. Anyway. Um, Wait, did you say it went down down three times? <laughs> Maybe five. Okay. Um, anyway, so uh, uh, most people are not up to date on their financials and they don't update them monthly. Somebody like me does weekly because I get joy out of it. I enjoy mm-hmm. being up to date and knowing where I'm at. But most of my friends have no idea and they know that they'd make better decisions if it was up to date. And, and to piggyback on that, uh, if people are married or in a serious relationship, what have you, um, you, your spouse needs to be aligned on on where you guys are at as well so that he or she can make sure that they're making decisions along the lines of what you know like based it. on what's yeah. in those financials, right? And often uh, husbands and wives are diverted. Husband either goes out and buys a new car every year, maybe not a great decision, or the wife goes out and buys something or what have you. So really couples need to be aligned on money matters and they'll have less strife between them about money matters. That's a funny thing about the, uh, the PFS. You know, it used to be, like you said, the bank will ask for it and they'll say, hey, here's a blank form. Can you fill out your personal financial statement? You know, in which, which I jumped through the hoops for so long in my career. Then I started doing kind of what you're going to the, the, the Randy logic and, and actually creating a document, gamifying the net worth and looking at it. You know, back then I was looking at it quarterly and I would tell the bank, I was like, hey, I see your form, but is it, is it cool if I just send you my form? And they're like, Absolutely. Right. Because it had way more data. It was it was way more, you know, the page they give you is like little tiny lines and you have to fill in all these little things and it doesn't give a complete view. I was like, this will make this is this will a be time savings for me. It'll give you a B, a more comprehensive look and C, it'll be a lot more accurate than what I'm about to get right on this PFS. And I think literally there's an there's a when an underwriter sees this and I could be wrong, Randy, and maybe we're, you know, this is just a, a hypothesis, a hypothesis of mine that an underwriter sees something like that. And it's like, Hmm, okay. A loan is approved at this rate, right? It's just, it's a little bit more impressive. It's uh, it shows that you're a sophisticated business person when you have proper documentation on a personal mm-hmm. PFS. Yeah. The only thing they'll ask you to do is sign the bottom of that other document <laughs> because they need your signature certifying that the PFS is accurate. True, right. What I find amazing is you remember when you're young and you don't have assets, you can't borrow money, right? right? And you're like, what's the bank for? And then when you get older, you realize, oh, the bank doesn't take risk because they're only making two points on the spread. Right. So they're not taking risk on your business. They're not taking risk on anything, right? They, they need to know that they have collateral. Your financial statement is what gives them the tools to validate your collateral and therefore lend you money. And the better your financial statement is, the less you normally need to borrow. And when you do borrow, you're going to borrow at attractive rates. The other thing that's amazing is um, when you're starting out, and I consider one of the things I like about Bulletproof and your uh, your podcast, Peter, is that um, is that you guys are dealing with sophisticated people. 
And, you know, dentists had the the fortitude to go to dental school, build a business, start a, whether they're working in one or starting one or going to start one, you know, this is a a really good caliber of people. So Mm -hmm. I think my message plays really good to people that want to learn, right? My message doesn't play for everybody because they'll go, another rich guy showing us, you know, how we got rich. I like my audience to be the guy that goes, I want to be that guy, you know what I mean? Or Right. And I want to and I want to learn from that. Um, but one of one of the funny things back to banks is um, normally when you turn in their financial statement, they want you to include all of these side schedules and give copies of current statements and all that. Well, I do a lot of real estate investing and I'm at a point now where when I send my financial statement, they approve the loan and wire the money. And they didn't even ask me for my current bank statements and brokerage statements. That's how much confidence they have in my document. Now, I know that's breaking all their rules, but it goes to show you relationships matter. People's perception of you matters. And, you know, how you present yourself to your banks, your vendors, you know, whatever, all that matters. Making friends with your accountant, making friends with your vendors, uh, you know, the the uh, a successful entrepreneur, everybody is the customer. His employees are the customer because how often do we have to really work for our employees a lot, right? Customer is the customer, your banker is your customer, your accountant is your customer because you want to pay more attention to you. So we're really using our relationship ability to network everybody. And and a lot of people, when they get into business, they go, finally, I'm the boss. I, I had never had that experience as an entrepreneur. I always felt like the guy that had to spin all the plates and make everybody happy and get them to want to do business with me. I was never the boss, right? So um, anyway, just a thought on the financial well, state. The other thing that is you're talking and kind of, we're, you know, as you're saying is the sophisticated crowd. Yes, I completely agree with you. And I also say the bulletproof crowd is is one seeking growth, whereas therefore you're coming to open mind about something, right? As opposed to like, I don't know, figure it out. So that that was one caveat. The other thing is, is I want to mention, and I don't think we brought this up in, in Salt Lake, and I know you know kind of a lot about dentists because you're friends with Craig, but we love technology, Randy, we love data, we love all the things like we are scientists, right? And so we study these things about our practice, right? We we have KPIs of our new patients and KPIs of our collections, KPIs of our growth, all these things, cost of acquisition. And we we drill into this, yet we don't track the KPIs of our, a lot of times we don't track the KPI of our net worth, right? How am I tracking on these parameters? Is Is it being accretive? Or am I losing, you know, am I going in the wrong direction? And it's just, it's just a phenomenon that I see a lot. Um, And I can't say that I've always been the most disciplined in this area, but like, but once you start getting the hang of it, it, you, you start looking forward to it, to your point of the coffee every Saturday morning. It's the highlight of one of your weekends is to see what is the hard work led to. Boom. Look at that. It moved the needle. And that is encouraging of more of that behavior. Would you, wouldn't you agree? Like Absolutely. you started at a point that was like, this is an endorphin rush. I like this. Let's do this every Saturday. Yeah. Which got more and more and more of the activity that made you feel good at Saturday morning. Yeah. It's like winning, you know, and people love to win. And it doesn't matter again on your financial statement. If your net worth is $50,000, you are way ahead of so many people in the world. You're no longer competing with them. You're competing with yourself to grow that for whatever it is that you want to do with that money, you know, for your kids, your family, what have you. Um, The other thing that uh, 
you know, when I look at people that aren't getting the outcomes they want is they haven't created the habit of savings, right? And the habit of savings, whether it's inside your business or in your personal life, is the most important habit that you can establish because without it, you will never get where you want to go financially. How many of us have friends that make two, three, four hundred grand, but they do not have a net worth because mm -hmm. they pay their taxes and they spend. They have great cars, they have great travel, they have great weekends, but they haven't built net worth because they think that net worth is going to happen down the road someday when a magical bomb of money drops on them, right. when I sell my practice, sell my when practice. my Bitcoin hits, when my in-laws, you know, when we inherit that money or whatever, they're like waiting for this magical bomb of money to come down the road, or they just assume that something will happen that'll deliver it. But the only thing that really delivers that is diligence and the habit of savings. So every year, you know, there's an old uh, joke out of the book, The Psychology of Money. I, I don't know if it was Warren Buffett. Um, it said, uh, you, uh, you can never get rich by increasing your income. You can only get rich by controlling your expenses. Think about that. If you keep increasing your income, you don't get rich if you spend it all. Yeah. You only get rich by controlling your expenses. And you do this in your business and you do this in your personal. And once you finally hit that, that, that period where your, your, your business is generating more than the salary you're drawing or the draw you're taking or what have you, and when that magic moment happens, it's so easy to say, let me just elevate my lifestyle a little. Oh, let me elevate it a little more. Let me just elevate it a little more. Or my, favorite, or my favorite is, well, my lifestyle is and my business is set for what I'm going to earn next year. But then a year later, they've raised their lifestyle once again, right? So without the habit of savings, and there's people, you know, you've heard stories of, of school teachers that died with a million five because they saved 10% of their money and put it in the S&P 500. And then the, you know, the grandkids go, Aunt, you know, Aunt Claire had a million five. Where the heck did she get that? She was a secretary, you know? She saved and she invested in the market and then she had the magic of compound return, right? Mm -hmm. and, and anybody can do that on any income level. But most people, Peter, do not believe they can save enough money to have it be meaningful. And the truth is anybody can at any income level. So, Peter, it is shocking to me how many people, one, have not actually heard about ERC and two, have gotten the wrong information. And you and Trey being two of them, I mean, I consider you to be an epic business person. And when I talked about the employee retention credit to you, you were really dismissive of me. Like, no, I, I went through that. I got it. I, you know, it was great. I got it. It was done. And even Trey just now, we were just talking to him on the last pod. He's like, yeah. I already, you know, my accounting firm, they, they got it very little. They only got like five or 10 grand. So we know this is totally misunderstood. I was told I didn't qualify until I went to a specialist and they're like, you absolutely qualify. And here's the number. And it, it almost startled me. Like I, my jaw was off on the ground. Of like, yeah, you don't serious? actually, you don't believe it. You didn't don't believe, believe it. it. But going yeah. to, don't ask your CPA, ask someone who specializes, which is why we actually have this awesome arrangement and we created a link and the company, it's bullet, go to Bulletproof ERC to help kind of implement this because 
from this pot of money that Congress has has allocated. We want the people listening from Bulletproof to take advantage of it. So this is why right. it's kind of this this announcement is going on because it's don't like I said, don't ask your CPA. Ask the people right. who this is the well, only that's what, thing they do all day, every that's day. That's why we had to do this because initially I was telling everybody, telling you, telling everybody, like, oh, I, I went, we don't qualify. So like, oh, this is not going the way it's supposed to. Like you mm-hmm. have to go to the people that do it. So I'm really proud of that. Um, my buddy Norm works at the company. Norm, as you know, is like the nicest guy in the world. He's literally like Ned Flanders. He's like, he how really do you do? He'll fill out your form. He'll walk you through the process. He'll do the Zoom call with you. It's literally white glove services. You don't have to do anything. And this is what they do. And it's an unbelievable program. You have two ways to pay for it. Um, You can either pay up front or they can just take a percentage when they give you the money. And it is awesome. You did one. I did the other. We won't tell which one, who who did what. But it's a government program. It's going to run out. Do not delay. It's amazing how many people are like, I'll handle a couple months. I don't have time. You don't need any time. Like this is like crazy. First come, first serve, right? (laughs) First come, first serve. And I mean, I know the government's treated you well through the CARES Act. And you're thinking to yourself, well, maybe I don't need this. It is your money this to have. This is part of the CARES Act. Right. It is part of the CARES Act. But a lot, I mean, even when I thought about it, I'm like, nah, I'm good. I don't want to take, you know, more money. But this is a program that's allocated for people like you who have kept your employees, kept your businesses open. Do not take it for granted. If your account told you, or your friend who's a lawyer told you, do not leave that stone unturned. Go to bulletprooferc.com. Spend five minutes. It's worth the due diligence. Do not assume anything. And even if you filled it out, you got something, but it wasn't, you know, what you think is commensurate for your size business, go ahead and reopen the process. You can amend these things for different years. So do yourself a favor. Take the five or 10 minutes, have a Zoom call. You may be leaving hundreds of thousands of dollars on the table, which is not prudent for you, your business, and the, the families that your business supports. Do it for them. So is it more important to establish X percent and stay congruent with that throughout the years? Or is it more important to just adopt the principle of savings, even though things feel hand to mouth at the time? And then uh, just as later in life, as you as you check off the boxes of this, this, and this, and this, and right now you can maybe discretionarily save 40%, whereas you started at 5%, if that makes any sense, right? So is it staying congruent or adjust along the way? Yeah. So um, if you're an entrepreneur, you'll end up adjusting along the way because at some point everybody gets to that sweet spot where their business starts making them a lot of money. And if the so your savings rate could go from 10 percent to 35 percent that year or the year after. Uh, So you're saying as an entrepreneur, you let it you allow yourself the grace to change over time because there may be demands on the business that need less savings and more uh, more more liquidity into the business. And later on the life cycle, there may be an opportunity for you to, the business is running fine. There's really nothing I can invest in. I now can pull 35% and save 35% of my, of my adjusted gross uh, income or not even adjusted gross, my, my gross income. Correct. If you, if you lock yourself into 5% or 10%, your income is going to end up swelling. You know, you're going to hit those thirties and forties where you start making a lot of money and you, and you don't want to be limiting yourself to 10% when you've doubled your income. Right. And I know that can happen to a lot of your, um, your listeners. So the other thing is, um, is as we're saving, it's important to do it monthly. And a lot of people, many of my friends just have this thing where they say, 
I'm going to do my investments at the end of the year. Yeah. But if you follow the theory of dollar cost averaging, which is almost as magical as compound interest, um, you're better off if you were going to save 20 grand this year, you're better off putting 1500 a month into whatever that vehicle is that you're investing in than waiting to the end of the year. There is no 10 year period you can show me in the history of the U.S. stock market where it would have been better to wait 10 years and put the money in. in fact, or, or try to time the market or do it at once, one tranche at a time, like you're saying, right? The, yeah. the ideal thing to do would have been to do if you could invest every day meaning a small little micro fraction every day that would probably be the ideal thing to do right so you're saying the, smaller the frequency is going to let you capitalize more on the on the ups than anything. yeah Pr private equity firms that don't want that want your money and they don't want you to invest in the stock market they like to tell everybody that if you put a million dollars in the s p 500 in 2007 it took you 10 years to get back to a million dollars meaning you made no money. But if you take that same million dollars and you had invested 5,000 a month, you would have two and a half million at the end of 10 years because you would have been investing when the market cratered down and then recovering with compound interest as the market goes up. So nobody can outsmart the market and investing monthly rather than annually has dramatic uh, change to your total return. Oh. Like you said, there's nothing new. You know, we've heard this philosophy of like pay yourself first. And I believe that, you know, I don't know the book, Profit First. Yeah, the book's called yeah. Profit First. Yeah. You know, and that's, and that, I think it's just getting the philosophy of like, look, whatever it is, make it habitual, save, take something, right? And that, and, and allow yourself the grace to adjust over time. Um, yeah. I think that's, I think that is a simple philosophy, but so many of us think we're, we're too smart for that. I don't need to do that. I'll wait till I sell my business. I think it's a great, great thing to just kind of reiterate here, even though it's simplistic at its core, right? Yeah, you know, well, well, one other little strategy that I used for years, again, after going through hard times and then finally making money, every month when we would do our revenue, we'd figure out what our profit was. And then we, I had a separate bank account at my bank. So instead of being in my checking account, which was my operating account to run the business, I had a separate account. And if the profit that month was $30,000, I wired $30,000 into the separate account. Oh, and wow. then my CFO and I were only able to spend, run the business, make decisions based on what's over here. The because the profit, yeah. the profit was non-negotiable. And then the next month, the same thing. And the next month, the same thing. Now, if you ever needed to borrow back because you had a bad month, you could do that. But I found when you left all the money in one account, you kind of get the feeling of being rich. Totally. You know, hey, I've got 200 grand in the bank. I can go on this trip. I can go on this, you know, whatever. It's um, having a lot of cash sitting in your checking account can be a little intoxicating and fun, especially when you struggled before. But I would highly recommend segregating. I Craig and I had this same conversation the other day about, I was like, you know, we we're basically saying we all, we both get to a place of like this aggregate savings in X account and then deploy it. So we, I was like, dude, I constantly feel poor. Kind of thing because i'm constantly getting rid of things into assets and he's like you know that's probably a good way to be you know always thinking as opposed to if, if it was just sitting there in x account and you're looking at all the aggregation of you know operating plus savings plus this you're like i'm good you know and it gets complete you get very you know we're, we're all the same peter when when i i have found even in my personal life when i have extra money in my checking account i spend mm -hmm. more frivolously <laughs> yeah. do right yeah, <laughs> it's just human nature. Randy, I want to go to a different thing that something else that kind of resonated with me that you told to the group is 
is the CPA versus the tax advisor. And it's not versus, it's not, they're on the same team. I'm just one of so many of us, we talk about, oh, I need a new CPA and dental CPA and this, that, the other. And, and so few of us have tax advisors. Can you describe the difference and why someone would want to have both on their financial team? So, uh, yeah, so two-part answer. So first, um, for the first 20 years I was in business, I didn't have the right accountant. I did not have a tax advisor. Let's just call them the same person for now. I didn't have the right attorney, and I didn't have the right business advisor, like a mentor, okay? By the time I figured out that I needed all those, I shopped and found the right attorney, I shopped and found the right tax advisor, and then I found a business advisor, a mentor. And those three people acted like my board of directors. Because when you run a private enterprise like this, it's kind of fun to be an entrepreneur because it's like starting a country and you're the king and you get to make all the rules. I mean, think about it. When you run a business, Peter, when you walk in the door to your business, you could paint it purple the next day, you could double it, you could shrink it, you could close the door and walk away. It is your domain for you to do whatever you want to do, right? And that's that's the really, really fun part about it. Um, but you got to have the team to help you make all those decisions. Because what do you, what do you know about finance and, and running a business when you start? What did I know? Right. But over time, you get this board of directors on board. Now, you guys do it with Bulletproof. I think you guys mentor a lot of your people, and I'm sure some of them are mentoring each other. Correct. So you've got this network of people to talk to. But, you know, the attorney, that was, that was relatively simple to find a good one. I found a good one. And what made him good is if somebody owed me $10,000 and it was going to cost me $15,000 to collect it, my attorney wouldn't tell me, Randy, don't bother, write it off. My attorney says, we're not going to let that person steal $10,000 from you. So even if it costs 15 to get it, we're going to go get it. That's the guy that I wanted on my team. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so uh, when it comes to an accountant, right, an accountant's job is to take the data you give them and understand the tax code and fill out your 1040 and have you sign it and send it to the government. They're simply just doing what a spreadsheet like TurboTax can do for you, okay? They're following all the rules that are the, the framework, the easy rules, right? The tax code is 6,000 pages. 30 pages of the tax code tell you what you owe. It's the schedules, right? 5,970 pages are the incentives, often called loopholes, where you can use the tax code to your advantage to minimize your tax. When you minimize your tax, you basically keep more money. Then you can invest money and have it be making infinite returns for 30 years on money that you would have otherwise sent to the government. And it's important to understand that I'm not talking about cheating the government. I'm talking about following the laws the government has established to pay the minimal amount of tax. And as a citizen, my duty isn't to overpay. My duty is to pay exactly what I owe and not a penny more, right? So, um, and it's a big accelerator on your net worth. Most accountants cannot do this for you. Number one, they could be, <coughs> pardon me for saying this, they could be jealous of you, right? They could be jealous of the success of your practice and they kind of want you to pay the tax, right? And my favorite, and I fired accountants. Wait, why do they kind of want you to pay the tax? My favorite is when the accountant says, I say, this something's wrong, this tax bill's too much. 
and they go, hey, what are you complaining about? You're making money. That's right. not your tax advice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the guy that literally wants you to pay the most, right? So how? It, it, so can I interject something real quick, yeah. and then I don't want to derail you, but how much of that is is them doing a? And I don't want to paint all CPAs in a bucket, but how much of it is paint is a CYA, right? A cover your ass scenario because they're the ones signing the returns. They're like, dude, just pay the money. You're like, but it's my money. I'm like, yeah, just pay it because I'm the one signing your returns. And so there's not there's not a bunch of like. Hey, we could do this or this strategy or look at this. It's it's just pay your taxes and move on. I would say not only do they want to protect themselves for sure, because it would be malpractice if they were doing really bad tax returns and costing their clients money, but they also want to protect you. What if you're too aggressive on your taxes, right? You don't want to end up in handcuffs, right? right. And there are people out there that once they start making money, they start lying on their revenue and trying to play a shell game with the money to minimize their tax bill. Or worse, they don't have the cash to pay the taxes. So instead of saying, I don't have the cash and telling the IRS, I'll pay you when I can, they cook the books to show that they didn't have to pay it in the first place, oh. right? And there's and there's so many people, Peter, that fall into that trap. <laughs> and trust me, when they got out of school, they didn't think they were gonna be criminals, but they just, they just fell into making some bad decisions. So what, what a tax advisor does, tax advisor reads the tax code and they read the changes and updates that come out every year. They think about you and your business and how the tax code can apply to it, both personally and in your business. Uh -huh. Then they look at your situation. Do you own your building? Who owns your cars? Does your wife or spouse work at the practice? Does your, you know, they look at all your situation and they take what they know about the tax code and they inject strategies that will reduce your total tax. If you reduce your tax, there's more money for you to invest, spend, save, give to your kids, reinvest in your business or anything else you could do with that money, right? Um, but a tax advisor is thinking in that respect. They actually are thinking of how you can pay the least amount of taxes. Accountants just don't do that. It's not how they're wired. So, yeah, and I think so few of us have kind of tax advisors. And when you were talking about like, look, I went out and assembled the team. and I got, you know, this team around me and attorneys and tax advisors, CPA, and they were all kind of rowing to the same or, you know, marching to the same beat, so to speak. And I was thinking as you were saying that, like, you know, early in my career, I didn't have any money. So those people would not have talked to me possibly, you know, maybe that's it. And so, yes, you can sit here and say that you assembled that, but it's easier when you're like, Hey, I'm Randy. And I just exited my business for a lot of, a lot of dollars and I need a team. They're like, yep. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So how does how do you advise someone who's maybe listening to this, that, that maybe has some student loan debt, um, maybe has maybe some, some consumer debt, Right. And now you're talking about a, a financial team for them. Like, do you, you know, what I'm trying to say like there's a dichotomy of those worlds. Sure. Sure. So, so I assembled my team when I had less than a million dollar net worth. Right. Okay. So they were actually part of the growth, but the day I started, I wouldn't have been able to get any of them on the phone. Right. Okay. So you got to get in business. You got to get your feet wet. You got to get the ball rolling. <clears throat> you got to use your network, talk to people, make friends and you got to make friends with your accountant. Your accountant can become your tax advisor. And also, hmm. everybody you deal with in business, Peter, when you go to Merrill Lynch and you open your account or your 401k and you put your first $5,000 in there, that person is looking at you going, Peter, you're a dentist. 
that $5,000 is going to be 4 million when I'm 60 and they're going to be earning money off you and that growth with their fees. The accountant looks at your business the same way. They'll give you a better deal the first couple of years, but they know you've got potential. That's right. one of the great things about dentistry and you guys building these practices, the bankers, the attorneys, the accountants, they want you on their team and they want to be on your team because they know you have potential. So, when you when you when you interview an accountant, you know, there's a great book called Tax Free Wealth by Tom Wheelwright that I highly recommend. And when you read that book in the back, he tells you how to interview for a tax advisor. He basically wow. gives you step by step instructions on how to walk in and sit down with your accountant and say, let's talk about these things. And you can easily see if that's the right fit for you. You want the person that's aggressive and willing not to bend the rules to investigate the rules, to see what they can do to help you minimize your taxes. For example, I bought a building and I owned it for 10 years. And when I finally got the right accountant on board, he walks into my office and he goes, did you do a cost segregation study on this building and figure out what you could depreciate faster than 39 years? And I said, no. So my previous accountant had taken the cost of the building and divided it over 39 years. 39 and, years. That was my, and that was my depreciation, 39 years. So this guy hires an engineer for a couple grand, comes in and basically figures out that my building's a POS and it's not going to last 39 years. It's not going to last seven. And he was able to get me a million dollar uh, write off in year one because the building had been depreciated so much. These are two accountants that both are in Boca Raton, Florida, that both charged me the same price to do my taxes. Mm -hmm. And one said, hey, Randy's old building, I wonder if he's fully depreciated that. You know, there's a law for that. Yeah, and bonus saved, depreciation. <laughs> yeah, and he saved me all that money. That's the difference between an accountant and a tax advisor. And yeah. the accountant that the accountant that I had before that, that when I switched to this guy, he would have told me, "Why do you want that now? You could just take that over thirty nine years and yeah. shelter income every year." And I said, "Because I'd always rather have money now, not later." So anyway, that's a little that's a little yeah. Because back to your point, money now is able to redeploy into your business or invest and have the time value of money over time, not over 39 years. So I love it that you bring that up. And and something you said in Salt Lake was, hey, everybody, raise your hand. What's the business? Tell me what the visit, biggest expense of our lives is. And it was kind of a pause. I, nobody gets this question right, Peter. Nobody. Like it's taxes. It Taxes are the biggest expense. Therefore, isn't it incumbent upon you to learn how, to learn the code, to learn the laws, be a, to be an advocate of, of paying less money by following the letter of the law. Yeah. Yeah. Because to your point of back to the business, right back to the business or back to the building rather, I should say, which allowed then more cash flow to then be reinvest or redeploy in your business. Um, so I love that, 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 that question was brought up and, and actually I didn't even number answer. One answer number one answer, number one answer, Peter, people say my mortgage is my most expensive expense of the year. Some yeah. people say kids tuition. Some people, you know, they, they, it goes around the horn because people think about what they pay. People love to forget that their tax bill to the federal government is the biggest expense of their life over any period of time. So if you add the tax on sales tax and gas tax and alcohol tax and everything else, you realize that you really pay about 55% of your total dollars in tax, right? But just the federal income tax, if you're in a 20 to 40% bracket is usually your biggest, biggest bill of the year. And I want people 
to understand their tax return. I want people to read every page of their tax return. Yeah, they're probably not going to do that, Randy. <laughs> and ask questions and understand because they're going to find mistakes and they're going to find you want everyone to read 6,000 pages of the tax code? <laughs> no, 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 no. I want them to read their tax return. Oh, sorry. No, yes. no, no. I don't want anybody to read the tax code. You can hire somebody to do that for you. That's your I, tax advisor. Okay. I just want them to read their tax return because they're going to find mistakes on it and they're going to understand it better. And then something's going to happen in July and you're going to go, oh, this, you know, this is actually a business expense. Yep. I didn't realize when I went to the conference that I could charge that against the business. I mean, there's some people that forget that stuff, right? So, so educating yourself on your taxes is important. Understanding your own tax bill is important. And, and in January, you should start your tax planning. Most people say they start their tax planning in December. Yeah. I think it, I think one of the biggest takeaways too, that you've, you've kind of taught is, you know, not to loop back to the PFS, but you know, when we look at the KPIs in the business, we found this phenomenon, Randy, is that that the things that we track usually increase or get better, right? The KPIs that we look at in our business, if we are systematic with looking at the as a as a business owner, as a practice owner, they inherently kind of get better. Just as like your psychology goes to play on the on how to how to increase it, how to make it better. And and I think the same thing applies with the frequency on which you visit your personal financial statement. You do it weekly, I do it maybe monthly or quarterly. But the, but there is, there is a, but, and those who never look at it, it's just like, it's probably not, you know, your psychology is not working towards anything other than just like, Oh, I hope it works. Hope it works. So I love the, the systematic approach. You're saying like, just get the data in front of you so you can make decisions so you can gamify this life, so to speak, because ultimately like we just want to use dentistry to build independent wealth through cash flow and our creative kind of enterprise value of our practices and real estate and pay less tax, like, and they live a happy life. That's kind of what, <laughs> what all humans want to do, you know? And happy customers. And happy customers. Of course, of course, that's a given, that's a given, right? Yeah. The experience of our patients. Um, that's awesome. I know you're going to be speaking, um, you know, after, after I heard you speak in Salt Lake and I was kind of looking at some, a lot of the light bulb moments that were going on in people's faces, I was like, you know, our community needs more of Randy and and you and I are, I, I think I told you in, in full disclosure, I was like, I want to kind of be the Randy version in dentistry down the way. Right. And really helping, you know, kind of jumping in more of this financial acumen and helping people, people teach people like you are doing, like, you know, I, I focus more on the statistics and stuff and, and the marketing and the, and the, and the, and the data. Craig always makes fun of me that I'm always like, Hey, Get people the steps. You just want to give people the steps, the five steps to doing it. I'm like, yeah, you're right. I do. And I always say, and you always want to talk about how they're feeling and kumbaya and what's your vision. And I was like, so we're a good compliment, but I, but I, I resonate more with your plan. So we've kind of, we're kind of collaborating. Randy is what I'm telling the audience. We, Randy and I are kind of collaborating, creating kind of a, a bulletproof financial plan that we are going to kind of present in, uh, in the summit of, of August. Um, because it's such a big factor. The dentists need to, we need, you know, as a community, we need to know this stuff. So we're kind of working on this, this financial plan because there are different phases of your life, which require different attention, right? Meaning that you're not ready for alternate investments and conservation easement stuff when you still have consumer debt and you're not, you know, like, so there's different, there's a pathway, no different than our bulletproof pathway that people can go on to help, um, to help, yeah, their net worth, or essentially, right? Did I say that? Did that? Did that? I feel like I went on a little bit of a rant there, but um, no, really- no. 
you 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 nailed it. And Peter, what's um, what's interesting is if if thirty to fifty people watch my presentation, right, where we're going to talk about the pathway and the and my my twenty main points. Mm -hmm. um, if a couple of those people uh, adopt some of the techniques and embrace yeah. it it's going to change their life and they're going to email me 20 years from now and they're <laughs> going to say that changed my life because I've had those aha moments. Uh -huh. I've read those books. I took those notes. I've had that entrepreneur give me that piece of advice and I want to reach back out to all of them now yeah. and thank, them, and thank them for setting me on that, you know, on that path. And, and I hope in some small part, I can do that for your audience um, and, uh, and, and I certainly put the time in for it. So if I was a, uh, if, if the hours that I put into personal finance were college course, I'd be a PhD. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like that 10,000 hours. I know, and I don't know that much about economics. I just know personal finance. It's you know, not, it's funny you say that. Actually. I think like that was one of the classes I almost, I took economics and, you know, it's funny, Craig says like, you love macroeconomics and all this financial stuff. And I like, I think I got like a C minus in college in economics. Cause I like, I just didn't, it didn't, didn't work. So I'm, I'm with you, but now I feel like I'm better, better at understanding all that stuff just because of going through the school of, uh, of hard knocks, you know, like I just got my ass kicked a couple of times and made a bunch of mistakes. And, but I love listening to people who are, you, you know, you're, you're 10 years ahead of me. Uh, in terms of age and, and things like that. So I love listening to, you know, the missteps that you took so that maybe I could avoid them as I'm, as I'm going. And, I, and like you said, if one person reaches out and says, dude, you changed the trajectory of my life. I had no idea I should have been tracking my PFS. I had no idea I needed a tax advisor. I have no idea these people should be talking together. And, and like that, that is the shit that makes it all worthwhile. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? You know, so Randy, I'm excited. I'm excited for you to be able to lean into our audience there. And, uh, and I want to thank you for spending the time today, um, kind of going over this and, um, awesome. and you can get your daughter to come back in the room and tell her, you're, tell her you're all done this pod and we're ready to roll. But, but really in all sincerity, I want to thank you again for, for, uh, for helping. All right. Thank you, uh, Peter. And uh, thanks to all the listeners. It's my pleasure. And I look forward to meeting many of you in Las Vegas. All right.